What really matters, outward religion or inward relationship? What really matters? That doesn't mean that we don't do stuff on the outside, right? Well, it's all on the inside and nobody can see it on the outside. It needs to be both, right? But if it's just on the outside and the inside isn't touched, then it's just religion. It's just outside ritual. It's just following rules and regulations. And, you know, we saw last time that some of these religious leaders, they challenged Jesus about his disciples not following these traditions. And Jesus made it clear that it had to start in the heart. He talked about those, he says that, you know, Isaiah prophesied um, in verse 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So we don't want to be like that, where our hearts are far from him, right? We, we want to be, uh, have a heart that's close. So it's got to be real. Jesus didn't like hypocrisy any more than we do. It's got to be real. It's got to be from the heart. And what's important, and not rules taught by men, but God's word. That's why we study God's word verse by verse. So God will work in us as we yield and surrender to him. Today, really, uh, we're going to look at the next half of chapter 15. And really, it's a, it's a lesson in faith as Jesus kind of goes beyond the border of Israel. Have any of you ever left the U.S.? Some of you. Have any of you ever left Rhode Island? <laughs> you laugh, but I bet you there's somebody in here. I'm not going to put you on the spot that has never left Rhode Island. <laughs> Because you don't have overnight bags that are big enough, right? You know how it goes. If you're going to go more than 30 minutes, you need to pack what? An overnight bag. So, there's a lot more out there than you and I know about. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been blessed to be able to travel to, you know, a number of different countries and, and see what's, you know, some of what's out there. There's a lot more out there than we know. Of course, Jesus knew that, and ultimately, he came for the whole world, did he not? But it's so interesting to think about the fact he stayed mostly within that tiny little country. Of course, the country that is now in the news like every day or almost every day, this tiny little country, all our eyes keep going back there. But that's where he spent most, all of his time, basically, except... For this little section here in Matthew chapter 15, when he went beyond the border, outside of the border of Israel. And as he does, I think there's some lessons in there for his disciples, for this woman that he meets, and also there's lessons for you and for me. Look at verse 21. It says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So he left that place where he was, and he, and he went to this area of, Re, uh, of Tyre and Sidon. Again, that is outside now the Jewish territory. It was probably, uh, well, Tyre, the, the closest uh, city, was about 30 miles away. Now, you and I think 30 miles, that's nothing. I'll get there in a half an hour, right? Even if the speed limit's 25, I'll get there in a half an hour. You do the math. But 30 miles back then, that took a long time. You had to talk about overnight bags. You, got to, you had to plan and prepare. And so for him to go there was a very, very big deal, and he did it on purpose. He didn't just sort of, oh, I took the wrong turn, and now I ended up in Tyre. 
oh, I took the wrong term and I'm, I'm outside of Israel now. And, and, and when you're over there now, you have to be kind of careful because if you do take some wrong turns, you end up in some areas where you might be in a dangerous spot to be in. These accounts, again, in chapter 15, this section here, really the, the only time outside of the Jewish territory, in Gentile territory. So why is he doing this? What is he doing? Is he, is he just trying to get away from those Pharisees? Just trying to get away from the Jewish authorities? Just trying to maybe get on that vacation that he was trying to get and always being you know, stymied? He couldn't get that vacation? Some of you know what that's like. Or maybe he's really got a message here and he's trying to fulfill or begin to fulfill the greater plan. The greater plan. Look at verse 22. It says, A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. She was obviously not Jewish. She was from a clan of old enemies uh, of Israel, the Canaanites, old enemies. But she came to Jesus. It didn't matter. And, and again, there's some lessons in, in, in who she is and what she does, as well as what Jesus does and, and, and the, the kinds of things that we see him doing in this section. But she came to Jesus. Now, for a Jewish man to, you know, associate with someone who was not Jewish, was not, it was not kosher, as, I, as we would say. Not supposed to be done. So that's part of this picture. You have to kind of understand this. That, you know, we talk about the word prejudice. Well, there was an extreme prejudice, right, from the Jews against anybody who was not Jewish. Extreme prejudice. And, and Jesus, we see in this passage and, in, and, and throughout the Scripture, really, He breaks down all walls, all barriers. There's no, no such thing as, you know, the chosen race. There was a chosen people, but God chose the Jews to bring Messiah to all nations, all races, all people. The truth is there is really only one race, the human race. So she came to Jesus, and that's, a, you know, that's an important thing that, that she did. We, we need to come to Jesus. We look at her example, and she brings this need. She came with reverence. She came with agony as well, and, and she explained to him that you know, there was this suffering, this terrible suffering that was going on, and who was at the root of it? Satan was at the root of it. She said he was, that her daughter was suffering from demon possession. She knew where the problem was. She knew what the problem was. And even though she wasn't Jewish, she had some understanding of spiritual things. She called Jesus son of David. That was a term for Messiah. She said her daughter was suffering from demon possession. She had an idea that there's a spiritual realm, that there is more than just what you see with your eyes, what you hear with your ears. The enemy's goal, I have to remind myself of this so often, the enemy's goal is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so often we're, we're getting battered and beaten and, 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 you know, we don't know what's going on. There's some spiritual warfare taking place. But when we're walking with Jesus, he came to give us life, an abundant life. So what does Jesus do in this situation? <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. Look at this, verse 23. 
Jesus did not answer a word. This woman comes in with reverence, with agony, you know, aware of spiritual things, and, and Jesus doesn't even answer her. He doesn't answer one word. Wow. But I thought that Jesus would answer every prayer. I thought Jesus would always be, always be there for me. He would never not answer me. Have you ever kind of been in that situation where you, you know, you've got this huge thing going on and you're going to pray, but you don't feel like Jesus is answering? You don't feel like there's an answer? You don't even hear one word. Do, do any of you ever experience that? That's what this woman was experiencing, but there was a reason for it. There was a, uh, you, know, the, you have to look at the bigger picture, the, the whole picture. There's a purpose in this. There's a lesson in it. So when, when you, you, face, you come face to face with the silence of God, what do you do? You pray once, you hear no answer, what do you do? I just give up. I just go home. I stop praying. I think people do that. I think we do that sometimes. Well, I prayed about it. Well, you prayed once and then you didn't get an answer right then, right that second, right that minute. And so you just give up and go home and say, well, I tried it. I tried Jesus. What do his disciples do? Look at, look at that, the second half of that verse. It says, the, so the disciples, and again, you've got to understand, they're watching everything that's going on, and some of these lessons that he is um, giving are for them. They're already way out of their comfort zone. They're, they're not in Israel anymore. They're out in a Gentile territories. They're, they're, you know, facing kind of that, trying to figure that out. And, and, and they, then they see Jesus doesn't answer. Jesus doesn't answer this, this Gentile Canaanite woman at all. So, they, so, the, so, so the disciples, it says, came to him and they urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. What do they want to do? Just get rid of her. Get her out of here. She's a nuisance. She's a pain. She's not Jewish. Get her out of here. Send her away. But I think what we see in, just in their statement to Jesus is something that, that I think you and I need to see is this word persistence. She could have just said, you know what? Jesus didn't answer me. Now, the, you know, the disciples who are supposed to be the right-hand guys of this guy, Jesus, they're saying, get rid of her, so I'm just going to toddle on back home. Someone said this, the woman continued to follow after them, and she continued to shout. She wasn't, it says that she was crying out after them, she was shouting, she was making her voice heard. As I said, the, the Lord Jesus, he's dealing with this woman, but he's also dealing with his disciples. Look at verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Wow, what's going on? Jesus, I thought we knew who you were. And now you're saying this, I, you know, like I can't even reach out to this woman. Again, I think this is more for... The disciples who are there, because they're going to see what, she, what Jesus will do. 
Now, Jesus' ministry was centered primarily on the Jews, though he would speak to others, of course. We've seen it. You see it in the Gospels. But the Gospel is sent, and the Gospel message is for all people, as I've already said. In the end of, the, of chapter 28, Matthew chapter 20, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, all nations, all ethnic groups. But the disciples, they're listening to this and they're going, yeah, see, it's just for us. It's just for me. You know, I'm one of those special ones because of my Jewish heritage. But notice this as well. He doesn't listen to them. And he doesn't send her away. He's not listening to them. And, and, but for her, jumping back to her now, she... She hears this answer, and it's not really the answer that she wanted, right? How many times do we hear Jesus say something, if we're listening, and it's not really the answer that we want? It's not the answer we're looking for. And so do we just give up? This is the, this is the message. I don't think he, if, you, if you hear what I'm trying to say about this, we don't give up. We don't stop. We keep going. Not till we get the answer that we want, but until we get the answer that's right from Jesus. She doesn't give up despite what the disciples were saying. And uh, someone, someone said this about church people. I found it kind of interesting because the disciples, again, these were the believers, right? These were his apostles and disciples and followers and and what they're saying is get rid of her go make her go away and sometimes we find that that church people actually put people off more than what jesus would do we're going to see that right here verse uh, 25 she didn't give up the woman came and she knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. Lord, help me, she said. More humility, more persistence. This time she, she comes and gets right before him, kneels before him, comes and gets at his feet. You and I have many, many needs in this life, but are we willing to humble ourselves and to, to bow down and get on our knees before Jesus to get before his feet? That's what she did. That's what this woman did. She wasn't even Jewish. She came and humbled herself before him. You'd think, well, shouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't that be enough for Jesus to respond in a positive way? Look what he says in verse 26. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Oh, my. Who is this guy? What is he doing? Jesus. The disciples, though, I think they're like going, yeah. yeah. That's what I would have said, too. But is he challenging her faith? I think there are some lessons that she's learning through this. Does she really believe that he's her only hope? Does he really believe that there's nowhere else to go? I'm not going anywhere else but to you. Try to send me away. I'm not going to do it. I, you're the only hope. 
Later in, in the gospel, Peter, you know, uh, Peter says, you know, uh, maybe it's in John chapter 6, to whom shall we go? Who else can we go to? You alone have the words of eternal life. Verse 27, she could have given up, but did she? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This woman has, what I said to this is touche, because she's got, she's kind of getting the idea. She's understanding, and she's got a quick wit. One of the things I like about living here in Rhode Island is people have a very quick wit. Have you noticed that? You've got to be on your toes to, to kind of catch the, the, you know, the back and forth kind of things that happen. So I, I see people come in from the outside and they go, they go, I don't understand that. Oh, well, you haven't been around long enough. I kind of see how the, how the back and forth goes here. This is, kind of, is what I kind of see happening here. She wasn't going anywhere. So many of the Jews were not accepting him, and and she was not going to go anywhere else. Someone said the unbelieving children had no hunger for the bread while she does. Don't let other people stop you. Don't let discouragement. Don't let not hearing the answer right now stop you. Don't let not getting the the answer you think you want to hear right now stop you. There's something about this idea of persistence that just like is churning in this passage. I mentioned church people. Uh, one commentator said, getting past church people, one of the obstacles the Canaanite woman had to overcome was the dismissive attitude of the disciples. If you're seeking help from Jesus, don't be put off by the airs and the attitudes of some people who claim to know him. If you're looking... For Jesus, don't stop until you find him. Don't let people stop you. People are not perfect. People are not perfect examples. People don't always, you know, represent Jesus in the right way. And we see it here. These disciples, they, they didn't have the, the compassion that Jesus had for this woman. We need to know we need to go direct. So often people let us down, do they not? We, we, we want to get some help, and we ask our friends, we ask the people we love, but ultimately, Jesus is the one that has the answers for you and for me. Look what he says in verse 28. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Her persistent faith was rewarded. She could have given up so many, many times earlier, but she didn't stop. She didn't give up. This is a common theme in the Bible. I want to turn to a few passages. Let's go back all the way to Genesis, chapter 32. Genesis, chapter 32, the story about the account of of Jacob wrestling with God. Genesis 32. You've heard about it. Perhaps you've read it. Jacob is, you know, he's got some serious problems. He's... He's, he's uh, going to meet his brother Esau, who he burned pretty badly in the past. And he doesn't know how it's going to go. So he's like worried about it. He's staying up all night worrying about it. Giving himself an ulcer. 
And, and it says that night in verse 22 that Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his maidservants, 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Afterward, he, he had sent them across the stream. He sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daylight. He was all by himself between him and God. Say, how do you know it's God? You'll see in a minute. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the face Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. He was wrestling with God. But, but his attitude was, you know what? I am not going to quit. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go until we, we break through. Until we get. There used to be this phrase, you know, the, the Pentecostal uh, uh, preachers was, would talk about, you know, praying until you pray through. Well, you know, what, you know, whatever you think about that kind of terminology, I think there is something about praying and praying and praying until you do, you know, get to this place of understanding with God. And so often it's not that God is changing anything, but we're changing. I think through this whole, this whole episode with Jacob here, he was changed through his wrestling, through his not willing to give up and, and not willing to quit. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So often we just want to quit so easy. We're just quitters. We're just quitters. Turn ahead to Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah, it's about in the middle of your Bibles there. Isaiah 62 and verse 6. There's a little pearl in the middle of this chapter. Isaiah 62 verse 6 says, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. And then look what he says here. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. See that principle there? Give yourselves no rest. Give him no rest. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Don't quit. Persist in that relationship you have with God. Don't just say, well, you know, he didn't answer me. I opened my Bible once. We're, again, we're, we are such lightweights compared to, you know, believers of past. You know, I opened my Bible once. Well, I, I flipped through it like this, and, and, you know, it ended up here, and I read that verse, and it wasn't what I was looking for. So I'm going to go, you know, back about my merry way. Oh, God help us. Let's seek his face. He says, you who seek, you call the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he actually meets with you, till you know him, till you know that he knows you and you have this relationship with him. It doesn't come by way of ease. 
sometimes. One more passage in Luke chapter 18. Some of you are already thinking about this passage, right? Saying, well, I know a passage. If I could raise my hand right now, I'd speak it out. You could raise your hand, but I I may not answer you. Luke chapter 18, Jesus, verse 1, told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. And quickly, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find what? Faith on the earth. What did he say to that woman, the Canaanite woman? You have great faith. One of the things about her faith was that she persisted. She never stopped. She never gave up. She never quit. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's a good question, is it not? Let's go back to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse 29. Then Jesus left there, and he went along the Sea of Galilee. And then he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. Now, Mark tells us that he ended up in the uh, place, the area called Decapolis, uh, the area of ten cities, this place where, again, which was a uh, predominantly Gentile area. So again, he's still in this uh, uh, mode of being outside of Israel, reaching the people who were not uh, from Israel, not Jewish people. It says, then, then he, he uh, sat down on this mountainside and great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And he laid them at his feet and he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing. And it says they praised the God of Israel. They praised the God of Israel. In Mark it says that they were overwhelmed with amazement and they said these words, He has done everything well. Jesus, God, has done everything well and He continues the same today to do everything well. No matter who you are, no matter what, uh, where you come from, what your background is, He's still reaching into lives today. Verse 32 through 39, the last section of this chapter, again, is feeding the 4,000. We just recently looked at the feeding of the 5,000, right? Some people, some liberal scholars, I would say, uh, would would say that this is just a a copy of the feeding of the 5,000. They just repeated it again. But that's not true at all. The numbers are different. The place is different. The people are different. 
The 5,000 plus, again, way more than 5,000, were mostly Jews here. The 4,000 plus are in a Gentile area, mostly Gentiles. Verse 32, Jesus called his disciples and, and to him and said, I have compassion for, they, for these people. They have already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. They stayed there for days. We didn't get that impression with the feeding of the 5,000. I, I don't know, maybe they did stay longer than the impression that we get, but, but it seems like the Gentiles, these, these people were hungrier than, than, than ever to stay and to hear what Jesus had to say and to receive from him. We see here that it says that he had compassion. He cared for these people. He cares for all people, Jew and Gentile. Again, were his disciples getting this picture? Were they seeing it? Jesus is now reaching out. He's touching Gentile people all over the place, healing them, doing all these things. First the Canaanite woman, now these huge crowds. I think the lesson was, was very clear to them if they were watching, if they were listening. But I like what it says there in, in, uh, in the, the last part of verse 32. He says, I don't want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. I think you'd say that about you and me today. He doesn't want to send us away hungry. Maybe, you, maybe you're here. Maybe you're looking for answers. Maybe there's something you're looking for, some kind of a, a, a need in your life. And I, I truly believe Jesus doesn't want to send you away hungry. He doesn't want you to collapse on the way, along the way home. What is it? I don't know. But you know your own heart. You know your own life. His disciples answered, verse 33, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? This, I think, is the biggest lesson of this, besides the fact that Jesus is opening their eyes to the whole world. He's, he, 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 you know, Jesus had already fed the 5,000. Where were they the first time? It wasn't that, you know, long of a time since he had fed 5,000. It was a bigger crowd. What was their problem? You and I can look at it and go like, duh. What was their problem? Did they have this short-term memory loss? Or was it that dullness? Or was it, again, hate to hit, keep hitting this point, but was it that they were Gentiles? Can we just move on? We really don't care about those people. We don't care about, they're not one of us. They're not us. And you and I can have that kind of attitude. We don't, we don't care those people. They're different from me. They're, you know, they, you know, whatever it might be. Verse 34, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. Again, different number from the feet of the 5,000. How many loaves did he have there? Did they have there? Anybody remember? Five loaves? Yeah, 12 baskets, right. 12 baskets left over. Five loaves, two fish. Here we have seven loaves and a few small fish. Verse 35, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. When he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they, in turn, to the people. Again, he did, this, he did the, uh, 
this amazing, miraculous thing again. He couldn't just do it once. It wasn't that he was limited. Well, you know, Jesus only does that miracle once, and that's it. Jesus doesn't ever repeat himself. But we see the similar kind of thing. They give him all they had. And again, you and I need to, you know, like Peter says in his, apostle, his uh, uh, epistle, not apostle, his epistle, you know, that we need to get the message sometimes more than once because we kind of forget, we, we don't get it the first time. He's doing the same thing again. They give him what they have. He gives thanks. He breaks it. He gives it to the disciples, and then they give it to the people. He involves them in the whole thing. He wants to involve you and I. But this time, he involves them, and they're giving now bread to who? To all these Gentiles. Whoa, I don't know. That's why you read Acts, you know, what is it, Acts chapter 10, where Peter says, you know, Whoa, oh Lord, nothing, you know, I can't eat anything that's, you know, in this vision that he has. I can't eat anything that's unclean. And he says, don't ever call anything unclean that I have not called unclean, that I have made clean. I'm misquoting that verse. I will confess that. The point that I want to make strongly is this, though, that we need to pay attention when Jesus does things in our lives. And when we come up against similar things, to not just panic not freak out. You know, I, I'm, I'm teaching my, uh, my grandkids how to freak out. Literally. You know, I, I go to little Zeb, and I say, listen, Zebby, because he, you know, things are not going the way he wants them to go. You know how kids do, and, and we kind of see ourselves in that. They're not going the way he wants, so they start to freak out. I said, Zebby, wait, wait. Let me show you how to freak out. And I, and I say, this is how you do it. And I put your hands up like this. And I say, oh, freak out. And trying to get him to see, like, you don't really need to freak out. Well, the disciples here, they didn't really need to, like, even wonder, like, oh, this is no big deal. Jesus, this is 4,000 plus. This is a smaller crowd. Man, Jesus, let's, let's see what, what you want to do. A commentator said these words, Jesus had already found the resources in a previous remote place for an even larger crowd, yet the disciples were completely perplexed as to how they should be expected to feed this crowd. He said, people often give up when faced with difficult situations. Like the disciples, we often forget God's provision for us in the past. And when facing a difficult situation... Remember what God has done for you in the past and trust Him to take care of you again. Remember what He's done in the past. God has provided over and over and over again in the past. And then we face something today and we go, I don't know. I don't know if He's going to you know, help me this time. And we start to freak out. <laughs> we don't need to freak out. We need to trust Him, Right? And we need, to, we need to, you know, get our memories going. Well, you know what? i got to calm down a little bit here. i got to remember what he's done in the past. He's, he's always taken care of me, has he not? Yeah, I don't know how he's going to do it here this time. It's not the exact same circumstances. These were not the exact same circumstances, but they were similar. And, and is he going to do it again today? Is he going to, you know, help me again today? Yes. 
Yes. He will. He's faithful. He's faithful. And we need to trust him to take care of us again. Look at verse 37. It says they, they all ate and were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. One thing I'll point out is the word for basket here is uh, actually a larger basket than the 12 baskets that were talked about in the first feeding of the 5,000. This is a big basket, the size basket that Paul was let down um, from a wall when he escaped. The number of those who ate were 4,000 beside women, besides women and children. And after Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. Back to the land of Israel. They all ate and were satisfied. When you read about in John chapter 6, people being satisfied by food. Jesus' point there was, you know, don't just let it be food, though. True satisfaction comes from a relationship with him, not just the food. He will take care of your needs. I can say that confidently. Why? Because, you know, for 34 years, I just had my spiritual birthday, September 1st, 34 years, he has taken care of every need that I have had, every need that uh, my family has had, every need that this church has ever had. So why should I begin to say, well, why is he not going to take care of it now? Why will he not take care of you as well? He is faithful. God loves all nations. He wanted the disciples to see that. He wants you and I to see that. And for you and I, a couple of points to close with here is that we need to be open to what God wants to do, who he wants to reach. Maybe it's an unlikely person like that Canaanite woman. No, that, that could never happen. Or maybe it's a whole group of people. Maybe it's people that we don't necessarily relate to or understand. Be open to what God wants to do. Someone said it's impossible for us to become so occupied with spiritual matter, matters that we miss real needs right around us, especially if we are prejudiced against needy people or if they cause us inconvenience like that woman did. Instead of being bothered, be aware of the opportunities that surround you. Be open to the beauty of God's message for all people and make an effort not to shut out those who are different from you. There are opportunities around us. We have to like, keep our eyes open, be listening. I go to yard sales, right? Some of you know that. I just go to these yard sales, buy stuff, take it out of their garage, put it into mine. This is the way it works. <laughs> but you know, just listening to people, you get these opportunities to talk to people, and, and, and you may not be able to you know, you know, give them the... Uh, the the whole message of salvation, but you may be able to say, God bless you, the Lord bless you, just to people you talk to. Who knows what that might bring about? I, there was a guy uh, yesterday, I went, we, we, you know, we're, we bought some suitcases and Anthony and Irene are leaving tomorrow. We're trying to you know, help them get packed. They needed a couple more suitcases. You can get those cheap at yard sales. So I'm bargain, bargaining with them and, and, and you know, the guy asked, you know, well, who... Uh, you going on a trip or whatever? And, and uh, my wife says, no, our, our kids are they're going to Israel. And, 
And the guy says, oh, well, we're Jewish, but we're not practicing. And then he says, oh, are they like living there? And she says, yeah, they've been living there for a while. And he says, well, they speak Greek. And, he, and it's just when you kind of know he doesn't, wasn't thinking much. So they speak Greek? Uh, no, I mean Hebrew. Yeah, yeah, Hebrew. Yeah, they speak Hebrew. So a couple of times, I, and, I, and I said to him, well, God bless you. And my wife said that he answered some kind of strange answer, like, oh, God bless you. And I didn't hear him say that, because then a few minutes later, I said it to him again. Well, God bless you. You know, you got these little opportunities in life where you just don't know. You just don't know how you might have an impact. I'm, I'm getting to the place where I'm trying to look and listen for these opportunities. It's especially hard, though, when people are irritating to you, right? You know, you're trying to deal with some customer service representative on the telephone, and you're going like, how could I ever, you know, be a blessing to that person because I'm fighting with this person now. They're not giving me what I need. Be open to what God wants to do. Number two, when facing difficulties, remember what God's done in the past and trust him now. Remember what he's done in the past. Maybe, you, maybe you're just a brand new believer and you say, well, I've got no history. Well, your history is now. But somewhere down the road, when, when you're facing another similar difficulty, you'll see that he will take care of you then, just like he takes care of you and me now. But the third thing is, I think, maybe the most important thing we see from this woman and all these crowds of people is that they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus. You've got to go to the right place. They came with a need. They came with a hunger, with a problem. They, you and I need to come to Jesus. That's the most important thing. Don't let others stop you. Don't let, quote-unquote, Christians stop you. Don't let the, quote-unquote, church stop you. You need to go to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Great crowds came to Jesus to be healed, someone said. And Jesus still heals broken lives. And we can bring suffering people to him. Who do you know that needs Christ's healing touch? Bring them to Jesus. Come to him today. Today is the day. I don't know what your situation is, where you are at in this life. Maybe you're facing brand new things. Maybe you're facing old things. Maybe it's, it's more than enough, more than you can bear. You're overwhelmed. Whatever it is, come to Jesus. You know, I find myself, you know, overwhelmed by different things that are going on. And, and you know what makes a difference is when I get on my knees and when I get before Jesus. That's when things begin to change. Why? Because he begins to change me, number one. And he also works in the situations around. Does it always happen as soon as you hit the ground Well, everything's all better? No, I, I think more often than not, it's... it's it begins there, and then it, it, it takes time for it to develop. The answers come. I've never, and I can honestly say that he has always answered. It may not be the answer I want, but the answer has always come. But it, it's never, never like right that second. But it's this persistent going to Jesus, not giving up. Maybe you need to come to him today. We're going to take some time right now. Maybe you have never come to Jesus. You need to give him your heart and life today. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He gave his life upon a cross. Why? Because, because you and I are sinners. 
And he came to pay the price for sin. Maybe you've never come to Jesus Christ and you need to come to him today and say, Jesus, I, you know, I'm lost and I need to find life today. Come to him. Don't wait till tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. We do not know what tomorrow holds. Maybe you just have some other kind of need and, and you need to come to Jesus. We're going to take some time right now and I want, I want you to pray with me. I want to pray for you. I want you to, to make business, to do business with him today. Today is the day. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come, we humble ourselves before you. Maybe we're not on our knees or on our faces, but <clears throat> we humble our hearts before you right now. And, and we're not going to give up. And we're not going to quit. And we're, we're not going uh, to stop until we know that, that you uh, are working in our behalf, working in our situation, in our lives. Father, the, the, the lessons are here for us to, to be open and to, to be used by you, but we have our needs as well. And so we come and we, we ask, God, we cry out to you. We cry out to you perhaps again. Maybe it's the hundredth time. Maybe it's the thousandth time. But we cry out to you knowing that you are the only one that has the answers. If that's you today, I want you just to simply say those words in your heart. Dear Jesus, here I am again. And I call out to you. Help me. Save me. Maybe it's a matter in your family like this woman. Help me, Lord. Help us. Maybe you're like the person who's never come, never come to Jesus that's you right now, you can simply come to him and say, come. I come, Lord Jesus, and I surrender my life to you today, September 12th, 2010. This can be my spiritual birthday where I can be born again because of trusting in the cross of Jesus. That's you simply say, Jesus, I... I open my life to you. I give my life to you. I come to you today. Save me. Heal me. Forgive me. Because of the cross. Lord, thank you for all you've given to us in the past. May we trust you for today and for the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.